Hello, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and you're listening to Welcome to the Field, a podcast produced by the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. Welcome to the Field is designed for child welfare workers, caregivers, and community partners. However, this season, we will be talking all about uncomfortable conversations, and each episode will touch on a different type of uncomfortable conversation. So even if you're not working or caregiving in the child welfare field, this season might be for you. Today, we're talking sex. Now, we know that talking with kids about their sexual development can certainly be uncomfortable. And when you are a caregiver or a child welfare worker, having those conversations with a child you barely know might feel doubly uncomfortable. Add to that a limited knowledge of normative sexual development, sprinkle in some myths, values, and a healthy sense of shame, and you've got yourself one heck of an uncomfortable conversation. Well, lucky for you, we have the most dynamic duo here to unpack this conversation and dig into normative sexual development today. Welcome Tammy Lambruno and Leslie Stapleton. Tammy and Leslie are both training and coaching specialists at the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership. Leslie is a training and outreach specialist on the workforce team, and she's a former supervisor, district director, and trainer at the Department for Children and Families Economic Services Division and the adoptive parent of a nine-year-old. Tammy is a training and outreach specialist on the kin, foster, and adoptive family team. And before joining us, she had a long career as a therapist and clinical consultant specializing in working with trauma-impacted children, youth, and families. These two are also office mates and about as much fun as you can get on the job. In today's episode, Tammy will talk about using a continuum of behavior to help us identify when sexual behavior is normative, of concern, or potentially problematic. She'll talk about how to respond in the moment, when to reach out for help, and she'll suggest some resources to support you in your ongoing learning. Be forewarned, this is part one, and part two will drop in two weeks. Here we go. Thanks, Cassie. Hi, Tammy. Welcome to Welcome to the Field. All right, so our podcast theme this season is Uncomfortable Conversations. And I'm going to be bold and say that talking to kids about their sexual development and their sexual behavior might just be the Mac Daddy of uncomfortable conversations, you know? I'm hoping you can help us all feel a little bit less anxious and a little bit more prepared for when these things come up. Can you do that for us? Uh, yes. Awesome. You're with us. Before we dive in, we should let you know that this will be a two-parter podcast. Part one is focused on normative behavior, and part two will dive into the more problematic behaviors. Identify those, what to be concerned about, how to respond. So Tammy, in our planning for this podcast, you told me that many of the sexual behaviors of kids that freak us out actually fall within the spectrum of normative development. Start by telling us what normative means. You got it, Leslie. Uh, Firstly, I want to say, though, that It can be really kind of awkward or uncomfortable to talk about this, so I just want to put that out there. Sure. And I also just wanted to say that I really appreciate your Mac Daddy of (laughs) uncomfortable conversations. Um, And it just, you know, we might feel like we don't know what to say or we're going to worry we say too much or the wrong thing. So I just want to put that out there that even those of us who might be in this field or do this work, sometimes it gets really awkward or it can be uncomfortable. Um, Okay, so let's shift to a bit of a description of normative development. So we're going to be talking about kids up to about age 12, so four or five to age 12 today. So pre-adolescence. Yes. And so for young kids, very young kids, again, birth to five, so they are 
apt to explore their bodies. They like to do that. They touch their private parts. They touch everything, if people who have babies know that. Um, They like to be nude. They are curious about gender, about private parts, about pregnant bellies, and it could be all kind of stuff. Um, When we talk about the next group, so age like six to eight, so those are kids who are in school, kind of getting into school. They are also kind of interested in bodies, but maybe in a little bit of a different way. They're going to start to develop kind of interest in other people and kind of sex. Maybe the word sex, we'll talk about that a little bit more, which is kind of in terms of other people and maybe some touching stuff. They may engage in in some self-touch behavior, but it's going to be a little more underground as opposed to kind of the, the much younger kids. Um, they're going to have questions, and we need to talk with them about menstruation and puberty and, and body stuff. We can start that at 6 to 8. And then certainly the 9 to 12, so those kids, obviously older, different group, um, they are going to be interested in, for lack of a better phrase, romantic relationships, mm-hmm. you know, the boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend, yeah, girlfriend, fourth, all this fifth, kind of jazz. Grade. Yeah, they're just going to be talking about it more um, maybe it's like more jokey, some inappropriate, what we would probably say or school folks would say is right. know, inappropriate kind of yeah. comments and things. And so we're going to want to give them more information about relationships and behaviors that are okay and kind of what is to be expected. Um, and they're working on developing values related to sex and sexuality. Okay. So that's normative. And I think you've talked about there being sort of a continuum, right? Talk to us about that continuum, normative, and then sort of what else is part of of a continuum of behavior. So when we think about sexual behavior in kids, we think about a continuum that starts on this kind of lower end with the normative, typical behavior, kind of bumping up to um, behavior that is of concern, kind of question mark, we're not really sure about it. And then kind of you keep moving up to the top, and that is, uh, we call it uh, seek professional help, something that we're, is probably going to be identified as problematic sexual behavior. Okay. And I do, can I add one thing about that? Yeah. So it's not, you know, when we're talking about sexual behavior in kids, it's not just the behavior itself. Like we want to look at some of the dynamics, you know, or what's the context? Typically, kids are engaging in sexual behaviors during like a play date, or they're having a neighbor over, or it's cousins, or it could be siblings. Yeah. And what we know about that is that the kids are typically... So again, if we're talking about, let me back up for a second, um, characteristics that make it you know, what we'd call it sex play versus anything else. Okay. So the kids, similar size, similar, de- similar developmental level, that they are, again, they have a relationship, that this is going to be part, an extension of play or some kind of role play thing or a game, that the behavior is usually spontaneous and kids may feel silly or maybe a little embarrassed, but they're not going to be overly distressed or kind of freaked out. So we're going to look at those kinds of things. And the other stuff that we want to look at is that, say, a caregiver stumbles upon something and then there's some sort of intervention or response and kids are then given, if they didn't have them before, are reminded about messages and rules about touching and what's okay and not okay. Those kids, those behaviors will really desist. So I just want to mention that. So it's important to not just the behavior itself, but what else is going on around it. Okay. That's sort of what, when you're like, is this normative? Is this, I'd be concerned about this? Is this really problematic? You're sort of looking at the context of it and all of sort of the pieces around it. Because there could be something that's very normative, but maybe the dynamics or the context is a little different. It could move it sort of up the continuum, depending on age of a kid, you said. And that's that's helpful. So you have a continuum. Yep. Can you give me some, maybe an example of something that's normative and then something that maybe bumps up to concerning and then maybe problematic so we can get a sense of what we're talking about here. Like, is it gradations of behavior or is it different types of behavior? Maybe you can help me understand that a little bit more. 
Yeah, I think it's it's it can be both sometimes. So when I say we don't want to look just look at the behavior, we certainly want to look at what happened and try to figure out what happened. You know, the, an easy example for really young kids is let's say there are siblings and they are in the tub together. Let's say maybe this is my kids <laughs> that I'm talking about, and sure. they just love when I tell stories about them and trainings <laughs> and such. You know, they're so adults in, now, correct. right? So in the in the tub, and they're three years apart, and they're playing. And let's say I can turn around to do something, and then I look, and I'm thinking, ah! I turn around, and oh. One boy's got his hand on the other one's penis, and I'm going to freak out. I did Are kind you? of. Well, I didn't plan to, um, but, you know, it's just a little bit shocking, even yeah. someone who does this work sometimes. Right. But, you know, so that's an example where it's really not a huge deal. The kids are kind of giggly. Uh, you know, I'm the adult. I'm right there. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to have them keep doing that. So my first thing is like, okay, well, we're done with that. We are done with bathing together at this age. A lot of times, you know, there could be examples, again, um, with kids, let's say, preschool who are playing it could be like a preschool setting. It could be a play date. Let's say they're in a room and a parent thinks, wait a minute, it's really quiet in there. And they kind of go in and, and the kids are on top of each other in the bed. And one person could even have maybe their shirt off or something. And so this is, again, still going to be in that kind of normative, typical for, let's say, four and five-year-olds yeah. because of the age, because of kind of the affect we're kind of looking at, right? Like they're kind of silly. They might be a little embarrassed and they might feel like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. And so, you know, that there's just going to be some separate the kids and talk to them. And, yeah. and so that is still going to kind of be in that low end. Okay. And then... Before you move on, I think that's oh. a really important point. Yes. Is that things that are normative, right? Yeah. Normal for kids to do these things. But there are things that are normative, normal for them to do them, and it's fine for them to do them. And then there are things that are normal for kids to do that you don't want them to continue to do. And you'll set some boundaries or you'll redirect. And I think that's a really important point, that there are things that are normative, but you're not going to encourage them to continue to happen. Right. And right. so there are things you don't want to happen, but you have to remember they're also still kind of normal things that kids do. Right. And so, again, with these, right, so it's like the kids in the tub or the play date and that, or or maybe it's another scenario and it's eight-year-olds and they're, you know, in a room and it's kind of a similar scenario, but there's someone's actually touching someone's uh, penis, you know, so in some ways, maybe what you're saying, Leslie, is that that could be, you know, maybe you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, this yeah. must be a real problem. Right. Because someone touched someone's penis. Your arms, pits are sweating. You're yeah. breathing heavy. You're like, oh, my God, what am I going right. to do with this? Right. And again, there's going to be like, we want to stop this behavior. But that, if, if again, we're accurately assessing that it's similar age, no one feels like they're being pressured, there's some kind of silly or lighthearted kind of affect around that, then we'll do that. But then if we have a situation where... Let's say it's a little bit different. So okay. there is an older, let's say a 10-year-old mm-hmm. and maybe an 11-year-old. And maybe they're, I don't know, they're hanging out, doing something outside. And and maybe before they've talked a little bit about doing some touching stuff. And one, let's say the 10-year-old is really kind of being a little bit more pushy. The 11-year-old isn't sure. They do some touching. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was okay, like some could be private part touching, whatever that is. But the kids, you know, go to their houses or whatever. And one child, the 11-year-old, maybe is feeling, I didn't want to do that. I didn't. Yeah. I couldn't say no. Because there was a relationship, it might have been hard to say no. And then the other person keeps asking. And then what if the 11-year-old says no, but the 10-year-old keeps asking? Mm-hmm. That's going to kind of bump it up, even though— Bump it up to where? Bump it up to that kind of middle, middle place, the concerning. Yeah, and you're going to want to ask more questions and get more information. And maybe have a bit of a different response. You know, like, hey, this is the rule, and now we're going to have— 
uh, consequence might be too strong in some mm-hmm. ways, but we're going to have to talk about this more and have some supervision. Yeah. And then at the way high end is typically a situation where maybe you have a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old. Maybe it's a cousin or a sibling, yeah. and the 10-year-old is engaging in some sexual behavior with the 4-year-old. Yeah, that feels different. Right. That is different. But I know I want to circle back to your kind of your question about just because the behavior itself and the age ranges would fall into the normative piece, mm-hmm. we don't want that behavior to continue, right? Right, Because as society, as a culture, we don't believe that sexual behavior in young kids is healthy or appropriate. So we, we do need to intervene with that. And I think we want yeah. to say to kids, right, like, okay, like I know that you are super curious and you want to learn about that or you want to do some private part touching, but you know what? Yeah. We can save that for later. So we're going to kind of right. put something, Yeah, it's okay to touch yourself, but you can't do it in the living room in front of the dinner party that we're having currently. Um, that is not a great place, <laughs> right? No. Right. Gotta set a boundary around that. Yeah. yeah can I, I'm going to do one more example, Leslie. Yeah, and that do. is this kind of, sometimes schools may call this in, you know, there's a young child, let's say a first grader who it's a male and their hands are down their pants a lot or they they look like they're they're touching their penis or yeah. rubbing a lot and maybe the teacher talks with the child or the caregiver or someone at school um, and that behavior continues you know again if something continues once you've maybe again talked with the child in a very respectful way but clear like hey buddy it's not okay like remember no touching your private parts in school or private parts in front of other people mm-hmm. And if that continues, or maybe there's some other stuff that's concerning, or maybe this child seems distressed or upset, you're going to want to check that out more too, you know? So there's just so many scenarios that could come up. And so I think, you know, as we're kind of talking today, I mean, if you think of something, I would say just ask and let's see if we can kind of place it on that continuum. And behaviors can kind of move up and down and kids can move up and down of this continuum. We do know that most sexual behaviors that kids engage in are in the normative typical range, which I think is, I hope is reassuring to folks. It's totally reassuring to hear. Um, I don't think that's where our brains go right away, right? We're like, oh my God. Especially, I mean, because we're specifically really gearing our conversation towards wanting to provide some information and support for caregivers that are caring for kids that are not their own uh, and FSWs that are obviously also having conversations with kids. And when I talked about the Mac Daddy of conversations, it's even more difficult when it's, you know, a child that's not your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't really know you, right? It takes a long time for you, the kid, to settle in and get to know their foster parents or their kin caregivers. Uh, They haven't developed trust. And then to have to talk about this topic with a child who has experienced so much already, who's potentially really not trustful of adults in general, it just makes this even doubly, I think, difficult. Yeah, I would say. Not for everyone. Right. But maybe for some folks, maybe like myself. (laughs) Um, And maybe we could talk about that briefly. Like, why are so many of us freaked out by the topic of sexual behavior and sexual development with kids? Like, why are so many of us uncomfortable with this topic? I'm not alone in that. I mean, (laughs) I've, I've educated myself enough to know um, and I've done some self-reflection as a social worker. And, you know, a lot of it's related to sort of upbringing and I can make that connection. But maybe you could talk a little bit more about well, that. I don't think it's just that adults are anxious or uncomfortable or freak out about talking about sex with kids or sexual behavior. They get anxious, upset and freaked out talking about it with each other sometimes. So True for story. adults. Right. So even that. So even kind of like the sex thing. You look, you know, you kind of put that out there and, you know, if you're in a room of folks, it'd be interesting to kind of get the, you know, the bubble above your head, like what's happening. Yeah, it's tricky. And I think our culture, it's kind of funky. Like there's all this kind of, in some ways, overt sexuality and messages in that direction. And yet people aren't, haven't maybe historically talked enough about it. 
yeah. and what to do and how to talk about it. Would you mind, and maybe you wanted to pick this up somewhere else, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you mind uh, mentioning the Tony Kavanaugh-Johnson oh. uh, statistic that you were talking about earlier? Or uh, Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tony Kavanaugh-Johnson is this wonderful, she's a psychologist out of California, and she does a lot of assessment and treatment and training on sexuality in kids and young children with sexual behavior problems. She's fabulous. And so what she does at her conferences and workshops is she has the participants anonymously uh-huh. complete surveys uh, asking for details about their own experiences as children in terms of sexual behavior and attitudes and thoughts and yeah. practice. And I'm telling you, you look around the room and people are kind of you know, making <laughs> sure. I have it at my table. I was like, listen, back away. And so it's it's fascinating. So it's the adults reporting out what they were doing as kids. Right. Um, and they may have never told anyone those things. No. Right. And, and so it, the research is like between 66 and 80 percent of kids, again, from adult reporting this out, they had engaged in some sort of sexual behavior and caregivers don't know. So what does that tell you? What do you think? Uh, well, there's shame. <laughs> there's I'm not sure exactly what you're asking for there. <laughs> well, but, Sorry. Well, but just that maybe that a lot of us are okay. Right. We did engage in something or, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was watching a movie that was like rated R. That was me in the old days. Like, um, <laughs> you know, or it might have been some touching or some curiosity or just some stuff, yeah. you know, like normative stuff, like spin the bottle. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's a truth or dare app that kids use. To me, it's like, okay, so firstly... This stuff is normative. It happens way more than we think. Mm -hmm. And most of it's probably just fine. And we grow up. And that really is kind of that truly exploratory, um, learning about ourselves, Mm -hmm. being curious kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's really up to us as as parents and caregivers to help kids just, uh, you know, reinforce, this is normal stuff. Uh, I'm going to set some boundaries. Um, We're not going to do that anymore. But that's okay. I mean, that's normal, but it's not it's not appropriate. So we're not going to do that. And we're going to move on. And there's no shame. And I'm not making a big deal out of it. And I, I think that's great. You know, the other part is just that imagine, I mean, we all bring our stuff, stuff, right? And we got and, stuff. And, and we got stuff. And, and, you know, if we know that a fair amount of folks have experienced either overt sexual abuse or have yeah. been grew up in environments that might have been o- overly sexualized yeah. or unsafe, that could come forth or just kind of the regular old, if you will, experiences like we were saying, you know, what happened as a kid or did your parents right. talk with you about it? Did right. you talk about like... Did you accidentally walk in on your parents having oh, sex? And oh, you're like, no. what was that? I think I know somebody who that happened to. <laughs> um, you know, or, or even just even that, you know, certainly at my age, I felt like, I don't know, there were like a, there was a movie in school or something and the boys and girls got right. separated. Yeah, and it was, my kid just had that movie. I thought it was mortifying, actually. She um, loved it. But just if your if your parents didn't talk with you about it, you know, or or there weren't many materials at your disposal, or maybe the school curriculum was pretty basic. Yeah. Like I feel like mine was pretty basic. Um, so what do you do? You go to your friends, or you go to a magazine, or back to HBO, or I don't know, as the world turns. Um, so, but we just we just it's important to remember that we bring so much of our own kind of thoughts, feelings, attitudes, and values to the situation. And we just, it's important to try to keep those in check. Absolutely. I mean, as a parent, I do not want my kid to grow up and feel shame or that things are wrong and I want her to be free. And I think I've done a really great job. I mean, she wants to nonstop talk about puberty. <laughs> she had the she had the movie in school. I mean, she talks to me about this stuff like no big, which I love that she's there. But yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, enough already. <laughs> like, I need a break from the puberty talk. All right. So what strategies do you have for those of us 
who no matter how much we learn, how much we know, <laughs> our hearts are still racing. A pit develops in our stomach when we have to have these conversations for kids. So, so set us up with some strategies for success here. Well, I think either when you're going to talk with your child, like you are purposeful and like you said, with intention, or if you have kind of stumbled upon a scenario in which you're like, oh gosh, these kids are doing something and I got to, I got to intervene. Yep. So it's just common sense. Some of this, the strategies, which are just, you know, try to be calm, try to um, keep a calm voice, keep your yourself calm, keep whatever's happening inside the sweating, the panicking, the heart racing, try to keep that to yourself and try to use just really clear respectful language. But, you know, if you need to say like, okay, well, hey, it's time for your friend to go home. So we're going to, you know, kind of, we'll, we'll kind of get you ready and we'll go. And that's probably hopefully going to be a follow-up call to the other caregiver, for example, that you want to make sure that you're coming in again with a clear message, with language that kids can understand. Um, It's okay. Also, if you're like, ah, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. This is bad or really bad. I don't know. Right. And well, I think sometimes you can actually say to the child, you know, like I, this is again, this is more the react, the response to something that's Ooh, happened. Maybe we should talk about response versus reaction here. I in just a caught myself. But, yeah. um, you know, so so just try to remind them that it's they're, they're OK and they're not in trouble. And this is really about just getting a chance, an opportunity to talk about yeah. like, hey, what's OK and not and what you your values and expectations are as a family. Um, most kids know, right? Like, yeah. oh, I don't think we're supposed to do this stuff. Yeah. You know, well, there's a nice school. reframe, right? You're like, here's an opportunity to have an important conversation. And if you hadn't done that, <laughs> then we wouldn't have had this opportunity to say, it's not okay to take electronic pictures of your butt and sending it to your friends, right? right. Like, right. let's talk about that. Well, and again, you want to also just like validate a little bit. Like I know, like you're saying, I know that you're interested in this or you thought that was funny. Right. But again, just kind of move it to the place about like, all right, well, we're here. Sometimes, yeah. right, I think you're like, well, we didn't, we didn't know we were going to be here. When you're trying to, when you're planning to talk with your child, like it was purposeful or, you, or maybe there was a question. So just maybe before the conversation, try to educate yourself a little bit, right? Like what are the normative, typical yeah. behaviors of kids at a certain age? So then you might be like, where do I find them? And you could go to Tony Cavanaugh Johnson. Uh, she has these great little booklets, um, like expected and normative behavior, kind of what I was talking a little bit about mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I think we're going to provide some resources here at the okay. end, right? There's another place called amaze.org. It's this amazing website, and there's amaze.org junior for younger kids. Okay. Great we'll little videos. On mm-hmm. our podcast page. So talk about your child with what's okay and not okay. Make sure you use the correct terms. And, mm. you know, so it's like it's penis and it's vagina. Yeah. All right. right. So or vulva. Vagina, you're a vulva. caregiver. And you're caring for a kid whose parents have not used the correct terminology, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And you see the importance. It's it's really about safety for kids that you're using the correct terminology. Um, how do you navigate that when you are a caregiver and you want to respect a family's culture and their values, yet you're stuck in the middle there? What advice do you have? That's a great question. I, I would advise to just maybe use both. And mm. then you want to maybe get the child. So it's like if it's, again... You know, wiener for yep. penis, or this is a very common one, flower for. I cannot stand. I that. know you can't. That term vagina is cringeful. But but it's important to give kids those correct terms, I mean, just like it is like this is your arm and this is your foot and that's your you know whatever that we're just going to say those and it takes yeah. away some of just that kind of like it. silliness or maybe it's more about embarrassment or shame yeah. and we also want them to be able to communicate about their body so we need to give them the language. Yeah. So if you can do that part again, back to using language, kids understand. Try to be clear about what the uh, rules if that's the word like Mm -hmm. hey you know like all right you can touch your own private parts in private um you can't touch other people's private parts not yet you're too young you know and maybe and the kid could say why am i too young and then you could kind of have that conversation would you really say not yet you're too young to like a seven-year-old and they're like what do you mean not yet would you 
Uh, you could say, or you could say, well, I don't, I don't know. What do you think? I would say, I, I think that's too young. You know, what do you think kids do? A lot of times, yeah. or if it's a 10-year-old even, well, what are other kids your age doing? You know, and so that kind of gives us information too. So a lot of it is to try to also ask open-ended questions and to be curious because yeah. you're trying to collect some information too. But it's, you know, if you're managing your affect the best you can and trying to be calm and using your calm voice and acknowledging if you don't know something, that's okay too. Yeah. You're like, I don't know, but I know there's a yeah. book. Well, the video. other thing, the thing to think about, too, especially as a caregiver, right, there's a, there's a lot you don't know about a child, and there's a lot a child ha- probably hasn't told anybody. And if you come at something in a disciplining tone or your anger, they're going to shut down and they're not going to share anything with you. So if they feel comfortable with you, they're going to share more with you. And in the long run, these kids are going to be safer. We want them to be able to tell us things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even, even if you're like, oh, no, I messed up. I, I got upset or or I, I raised my voice or, I, you know, maybe that was when you stumble upon a situation that was concerning. Just walk it back. It's like, OK, you know what? I'm sorry. I got nervous, and I think I used my voice in a way. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. We can talk about this, but you're absolutely right. We want to bring kids into these conversations. We want to listen for where they are. That's kind of the thing about being curious, you know. Yeah. And so we don't want to give them too much information. So we want to kind of that's that's a bit of a dance. And I think whatever way you can just make it as positive as possible. If you want to be goofy and silly for a minute, you can. But we don't want kids to get their information only from social media sites or just from friends, for sure. Absolutely. You know, so you're a caregiver. You've done your due diligence, right? You were curious. You did some research online, like, ooh, what am I seeing? And you've had great conversations. And you're still, you're just not really sure sort of what you're dealing with. What do you do next? Um, I think it depends on the situation, on the age. You could, you know, like you could get on. There's There are really great sites to go to for some factual great information. Mm-hmm about sex behavior and development and sexuality. So you could do that. If that doesn't feel like that's enough information, maybe there is a mental health provider. If there is, you could think about talking with that person. You could connect with your pediatrician. Okay. Uh, I think they're a great resource, generally speaking, for this. Other times it could be like your partner or a friend or just be like, I need to bounce this off you. What do you think? You know, oftentimes kids who are in care are maybe connected with a school social worker or something. Would that be an appropriate person to connect with? Sometimes. Sometimes I just want to make sure that I think people are well-intended about wanting to go talk to someone, mm-hmm. right? So that's important. But I think we have to be careful, even though I just said, like, talk to a friend. Sure. Um, but, you know, in the school, I mean, if that's a good connection and maybe there's a history and maybe the child's been at the same school, even if you're maybe a new kin or foster caregiver, mm-hmm. um, then that might be a really good person to kind of check in with. Other times it might be that that's a violation of privacy too much. Okay. You know, so I think we want to be really careful. And that's why, like, with the medical professionals, like, well, they're they're going to be asking questions about mm-hmm. body stuff and talking about that with them in their wellness check visits. Yeah. No, I yeah. think that's important. There's some things that are from home that just don't need to go to the, to the school. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more in the second part. Problematic. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you mentioned some resources earlier. We said we we're going to list them on our site. Are there any other resources you want to throw out before... I ask you for some takeaways or some other things that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure you picked up. Yeah. Uh, so um, there's an organization called Stop It Now. And so if you um, they have great resources. And again, all this stuff, it's it's just free and you can download and just yeah. look at it, which is wonderful. And they give like scenarios. There's a helpline you could call in. So that actually is a, is a good example. You could call in and say, oh. I'm a so-and-so or write an email and they'll respond to you. But that is that is a really good resource with great information in terms of kind of preventative stuff as well as uh, kind of intervention. There uh, is certainly the National Child Traumatic Stress Network has some great information and there's a psychist, I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's the Sexuality Information 
an education council of the United States. So that's very okay. kind of like, uh, it, you know, a lot of charts, a lot of developmental yeah. stuff. Um, but that could be a resource. And again, those are going to be listed. And you okay. know what? Go to Barnes & Noble if you can or have somebody who can or maybe the school can. American Girl has a great we have that. Th- their books are I wonderful. Love I love those. Yeah. About it's they're really they're geared towards those that identify as female, so it's a little it's yeah. not great for sure. other folks, but they are wonderful. Um, and then with Although that, they do take up the sort of non-binary in in the in the book that we have, yes. which I thought was great. They are really so. I was certainly impressed with those. And then you know there there are just I think once you enter some of these resources, you can kind of link to others. But I think that's great. And if you can do that with your child, like some of those videos, you might want to watch them first on Amaze.org or Amaze Junior, um, Amaze.org. Excuse me. Junior, because some people I think might be like, oh gosh, that's really, they're animated and they're great, but you know, check them out first for sure. Yeah. All right. So we're pretty much sort of like wrapping up for time. Yeah. Our next sort of part two, we're going to pick up and talk more about sort of more problematic behaviors and sort of move up the continuum there. So maybe for this part one, you could leave us um, with a few takeaways that maybe to sum it up and, yeah. and send people off feeling better and more confident about tackling these conversations with the kids okay. for which they're caring. Yeah. So I will reiterate that most behaviors, most sexual behaviors kids display are in the normative, typical, expected range. So really, really remember that one. Yes. So most of them are, even if you're freaking out. <laughs> you see something goes, oh, my God. And you're like, OK, just remember, this is probably normal. I'm not going to freak out. Yeah. If it actually actually ends up to be a really horrible thing, I can come come back around to it after I sure. realize no, that was can. not actually normal. But I, but I do but think that people, people aren't aware of that, so that's important. Yes. Um, and that talking with kids about sex and sexuality and starting early, um, and providing them with accurate age appropriate information, mm-hmm. um, it's one of the best ways to ensure a safe and healthy sexual development. We do want to talk to kids. It's not going to make them do stuff more. It's really going to help. And remember, we want... Do you think some people really worry about that? If we talk about it, kids are going to do stuff? I do. I do think so. And again, you can take advantage of you're watching a show and there's somebody kissing and then you're like, okay, here's an opportunity, like a natural one to kind of check in with your child. Or there's a, a woman who's pregnant. Oh, where do you, th- how are babies made, you know, or whatever that is. So you can do those kind of things. And um, let's see, if you're stuck, like you were saying, or you have concerns, you know, check out the resources that we are going to highlight. Talk to a partner, talk to a friend, talk to a professional. Again, if you're going to do the professional route, maybe start with medical folks, or if there's a provider, either in the community or the school. Okay. And it is important to try to keep your child in the loop as much as possible with that. And I think also just tell yourself, like, I got this. I can do it. I can totally do this. I'm going to take a few deep breaths. I'm going to remember that it was hard as a kid to do this stuff. And if I can give my child or the child I'm caring for good information and support and let them know it's okay to talk about this stuff and they're going to be okay, then that's great. Fantastic. Thank you. That's great advice. And we got some great resources. Thank you so much, Tammy. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to diving into the more problematic behaviors in, in part two. Part two. Excellent. Thanks, Leslie. Welcome to the Field is produced by the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. Our theme music is composed and performed by local band Brick Drop, and our sound production and engineering is brought to you by Egan Media Productions. We'd also like to give a special thank you to our in-house technical production assistant, Emma Baird. For Welcome to the Field, I'm Cassie Gillespie. And we'll see you next time.